you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 15. I just, I'm not obviously going to share an hour-long message or even, you know, well, I might if y'all let me, but uh, we'll just keep going to the Nepalese service starts, the, you know, Bhutan assembly starts, and we'll, we'll just join in with them. I'm supposed to join in with them this afternoon anyway, so we'll just keep on rolling. <laughs> Awesome. Luke chapter 15. I want to share this morning, we're starting our series today on We All Want to Be Loved. How many of you remember the DC Talk song? We all, we all want to be loved. Lo- okay, I won't. Sorry. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> Had a flashback. And uh, anyway, and so today I want, to, I want to share with you a message on loving the lost And I want to take a look at what God says, what our motivation is for loving the lost, for reaching the lost. And so today I'm going to, I'm going to use the term missions. You'll, I'll use the term missions, proclaiming the gospel, evangelism, all of those things. Just suffice it all to say, they're all the same meaning that we need to reach lost people. We need to love on the lost. We need to reach the hurting, reach the broken. John Piper said this regarding missions. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their knees before, thro- before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary ne- necessity, but worship abides forever. So the point of missions, the point of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the point of us reaching those that are hurting, those that are broken around us, is because not, it's not because God doesn't show His glory. God is fully radiating the glory of His majesty. It's because people have yet to enjoy the glory of God. And so the point of missions, the point of us reaching the lost, loving the lost, ministering to the broken, is that it is the overflow of worship to God. Missions is the overflow of our worship before God. When you begin to worship the Lord and you experience God and the beauty of His holiness, when you see God like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of His robe filled the temple. What was the response of God? God here's Isaiah worshiping the Lord. And God's response to Isaiah was, who will go for us? Who will go? And Isaiah said, in this place of worship, in this place of seeing God and His majesty, in this place of seeing His His absolute abaseness, Isaiah's sinfulness, his, His destruction, the ugliness of His mouth. The, the words that came out of his mouth, Isaiah said, were full of depravity. Everything that was in his heart, Isaiah said, was depravity. It was evil. But here in the middle of that, he's worshiping God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is. The train of his robe is filling. The, the, holy, the foundations of the temple were shaking. And what was Isaiah's response? Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. When you begin to taste of the glory of God, when you begin to be affected by the presence of God, it's then you begin to understand the heart of missions. It's then that you begin to understand the purpose and the power of reaching and loving the lost. So therefore, in order to understand 
The power of missions and the purpose of missions, we have to understand the power and the purpose of worship. If we're going to be people who enjoy the glory of God and enjoy the presence of God and go out, as Sonam said, and practice his presence, reaching the lost, loving on the broken, then we have to understand what worship and the heart of God is towards worship. Three quick things that Jesus gives us in the, in the New Testament about worship. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 through 9, he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me. In other words, the essence of worship is not action, but affection. Jesus did not condemn the outward worship. He wasn't condemning their outward worship. He was saying that outward worship, true worship, is the result of intimacy with Him. That means inward delight results in outward display. When you begin to truly delight yourself in the Lord, there is going to be an outward display of that worship. Now, if I loved my wife, if I do, let me just back up and... (laughs) qualify that if, let me say if, I, I do love my wife very much. But if, if I love her, I'm, I'm putting in an equation here, if I love her, I will show my affection. Is that correct? If you love someone, there is an outward display of affection towards that person. Why? Because you delight yourself in them. I delight in the beauty of my wife and her personality and her character and all of those things. She radiates the glory of God. She radiates the presence of God. I love my wife. And so I delight myself in her outwardly. How much more is true of God? When we delight ourselves in Him, Lord, I delight myself in You. And You place these wonderful desires in my heart to worship You. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus said, The hour is coming. It is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. In other words, right affections towards God begins by knowing the truth about God. If you're going to worship God and have the right affections about Him, you have to know God. You have to know the truth about God. That takes digging in the Word, discovering who He is in Scripture, discovering the majesty of God and the the wonderful fragrance of His presence on these pages. If you just begin to turn the pages under your nose, you just begin to smell the fragrance of His presence. Y'all, you think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. You just begin to smell the aroma. I'm in love with His Word. I'm in love with who He is in His Word. This is how I sustain myself, is by knowing who God says he is in this word. You know, when you, when you want to land a big airplane, you have to have a big runway, right? If you, want, if you want one of those big jumbo jet, whatever, you know, the big ones are, they're always coming up with new ones, you have to have a big runway. If you want the president to land, you have to have a big runway. Well, likewise, if you want the presence of God in your life, you have to begin to set the runway of your life in order. Begin to lay the foundation for God in your life to move. Discover Him in the power of His Word. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me read that again. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so our worship of God and enjoyment of God produces good works that glorify God. You all follow. Our worship of God and enjoyment of God 
The outflow of that is works that glorify God. God's glory is not intended to be kept a secret. God did not intend for his glory to be kept secret. He, he redeems fallen man so that you and I can display this glory of God. It's not for a private experience only. It's meant to display this glory of God is open, ref, openly reflected in our lives. Is the glory of the Lord openly reflected in your life? Enjoy God. Dive into His presence. Dive into worship and enjoy Him. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord begins to flow out of your life. So what is worship then? If, this, if Jesus is giving us a picture of worship in these scriptures, let me sum it up for you in this. That worship is seeing God for who He really is. It's seeing Him and the beauty of His holiness. It's enjoying His glory to the fullest extent. God, I enjoy you. I work. Do you know? Let me just pause here and say this. You know, in, in America, and, and not just in America, but around the world, we, we put the highest praise, the highest, uh, the paramount uh, priority on the enjoyment and pleasure in life. You know, we want to enjoy our hobbies. We want to enjoy this. We want to enjoy that. And God gives us, and by the way, those are the things that lead us off into sin when, when God is not the center of those things. But God gives us permission to enjoy Him to the fullest capacity of your being. You can't outdo enjoyment of God. You can, you can go to the bar and drink your, drink your, you know, whatever you drink. You can go do, have your relationship. You can go smoke whatever you want to smoke. You can go whatever it is you want to do. You can go be successful as you want to be and do all of that you want to do. But you reach a point where you can't get any further. It doesn't satisfy anymore. The, the alcohol doesn't satisfy anymore. So you got to go. The, the woman doesn't satisfy anymore. So you got to do the. The success doesn't satisfy. So you got to do. And it just never, never is enough. But oh, when you step in to the presence of God, it is eternal, unending supply of glory to enjoy. You can't outdo God. You can't outenjoy God. There's always something more to discover of His goodness. So you see God, you enjoy Him, and then you begin to show Him and display that glory publicly. I want to take a look at, in Luke chapter 15, I want to take a look at these truths as it relates to the prodigal son. So you may say, how does all this connect in having compassion and loving the lost? Well, when you begin to enjoy God and His glory and you see Him, like we said about Isaiah, when you see God for who He is and you enjoy Him for who He really is, not just coming to church and checking the check boxes we say, not just religious duty, but when you really, really enjoy Him, when you really, really enjoy Him, not just religion, but when you enjoy Him. You know, you can come to church and you can do the right things and not enjoy God. I've been there. You can, you can be miserable in church. I've been there. You can be absolutely miserable in church. You can be absolutely miserable in religion, snared, thinking you're doing the right thing, but all along absolutely miserable in your heart. There's a difference between enjoying God and religion. There's an absolutely big difference. But when you do this, when you enjoy Him and you enjoy the presence of the Lord and you see Him for who He is, all of a sudden there's compassion that's produced in your heart. 
There's compassion for the lost that's producing heart. Why? Because God's heart is for the lost. God's heart is for the lost people. That's why he sent his son. And so all of a sudden, the more you enjoy God, the more compassion you have for the lost. The more that you delight yourself in God, the more compassion you have for the broken and the hurting. The more that you enjoy God, all of a sudden you don't mind the person coming and sitting by you that doesn't look like you or smell like you or think like you or talk like you. All of a sudden you don't mind finding those hurting people at night of hope and putting your arm around them and loving on them. All of a sudden you don't mind finding those people. Why? Because you've gotten into the presence of God and compassion is birthed in your heart. And you begin to reach out on the hurting and the broken. You don't want them. One, you don't want them to go through eternal judgment. You don't want them to endure in this eternal judgment. But it's less about the reward and more about what you're experiencing. All of a sudden you realize it's not just about them avoiding hell. It's about them enjoying this great God. It's about them finding their pleasure in the glory of the Lord and not in the, in the sin and the depravity of this life. In Luke chapter 15, we find a passage of Scripture that we're very familiar with, the prodigal son. In Luke 15, in verse 11, it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered all of it together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went, and he joined himself. Can I just pause? You know, just as I read that, there might be someone here today, and you're looking at your child who's away from the Lord, and you keep, you're doing your best. You've, You've been praying, you've been storming the gates of heaven for your lost son or daughter. You're believing God for them. And, and your son or daughter is in a difficult place, difficult things. They've fallen into a difficult season. Can I just say to you, don't try to rescue them out of that difficult season. Wait patiently on the Lord. It might be the hand of God that's brought them into that season. You might be trying to pull them out when God's trying to send them through. That, just, just a word of encouragement for you, and I am sure as a parent that is probably the uh, you know, hardest, that would be the hardest thing for you to watch your children go through a difficult season. But oftentimes it's the very season that God will use in their life to bring them out of and into His presence. So trusting, trusting. I'm, I'm sure the father here, this wonderful loving father had problems seeing his son go through the things that he went through, not knowing what was happening in his day-to-day life, not knowing the, the famine that he was facing, not knowing the things that his son was enduring. But he had patience. He had patience on the heavenly father and he had patience knowing that God would work all things out in this circumstance. And he did. So continuing on and reading, so he divided his livelihood, he left, a famine came in the land And he was in want. Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And when he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he rose, and he came to his father, and he was still a great far way off, and his father saw him and had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. They were going to have a shindig. They were going to have a big party. They were having a boucherie. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. That's the second time I've said that word today. I think it's, uh, we need to have a pig roast. <laughs> feel it's the Lord. And they began to be merry. And his older son was in the field. And, he, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come. Because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and would not go in. And therefore the father came out to the field and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. I make merry and be with my friends. I want to have a, I want to have a party too. But you won't let me. <laughs> That's what he said. He threw a temper tantrum. But as soon as his son, as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. It was lost and is found. Amen. I want to take a look at the context here of this scripture with regards to these truths that we shared earlier. Inward delight results in an outward display of affection towards God. Both of these sons, if you look and read through this scripture, both of these sons were more interested in their father's blessing and his possessions than they were the enjoyment of their father and their family. When you begin to delight yourself in God, it doesn't matter about the inheritance, it doesn't matter what the other person got or didn't got, Lord, I just love you, I just worship you. The younger wanted his inheritance so he could go waste it. The older got jealous, got uh, despised his father in his heart. He outward, the older brother was outwardly obeying his father. He was outwardly doing the right things. He was out taking care of the, uh, the field. He was out maintaining things. He never mistreated his dad, never broke his law. But inwardly, he was despising his dad. I wonder how many of us come to church that way. We, we say, oh God, I love you. And outwardly, we're doing all the right things. But inwardly, as Jesus said, our heart is far from him. When we understand, thirdly, when we understand our depravity, like this younger brother, he said, I am not worthy. I've wasted my father's inheritance. He came to himself. He came to his senses. You and I sometimes need a wake-up call, a reality check to come to our senses and realize, wow, I don't, have, I don't have anything to offer. I've wasted it all. I've wasted my life. I don't have anything to give. I'm nobody. I don't even, I don't even be, I'm not even deserving to be called a servant. I'm just going to go to my dad and say, Dad, can I just be a servant? I, I don't even deserve it. But can I just be your servant? And when we come to God, He doesn't restore us as servants. He restores us as sons and daughters. He, we come in and He restores us and we fall intimately in love with Him again. It's no longer about the reward, but it's about the relationship. We're no longer after the reward and the blessings that come along in the journey with knowing God. We're more concerned about our relationship with Him. God, I just want to know You. Father, 
I just want to know you. I just want to have your presence in my life. I just want to overflow with your goodness in my life. It's no longer about the, the successful Christianity. It's no longer about the religious church. It's no longer about all those things. It's about, I just need you, God. I need you. I want my relationship to be in unity with you. The Bible says that they began to be merry. I love this. They began. Their, their joyfulness was just beginning. Joyfulness, our relationship with God and the joy of our salvation must be maintained. Isaiah said, with joy, I will draw water from the wells of salvation. Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. The joy of your salvation, the joy of my salvation must be maintained. And that happens by living and enjoying God in his presence it happens by enjoying him and finding our delight in him right affections towards God is the result of knowing the truth about God in verse 31 it says son you are always with me and all that I have is yours it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again was lost and is found the older brother had to have a reality check too (laughs) you've been with me this whole time Everything that I have is yours. That means, that tells me that, that his heart, the, dis, the, the despise that he had in his heart towards his dad had to be dealt with. He had to come to the reality of the truth. You and I have to come to the reality of the truth of God's presence. That he loves us. That he, is, he has justified us by faith in Romans 5, chapter 1. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Hebrews 13, 12 says that we are being sanctified by the blood of Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 33 says that we are being baptized. He is our heavenly baptizer. He's the one that's pouring out this which you now see and hear. Romans 8.26 says that he helps us in our week. We can go on through scripture after scripture after scripture about the truth of God and the reality of who he is. This produces in our life the right affections. All of a sudden, when I'm going through a difficult season in my life, and I don't know the direction I ought to take or the things that I ought to do, the Bible says, Romans 8, 26, that he begins to pray. He groans and intercedes for us. And we just step in. Okay, God, I don't know. I don't understand, but I'm just going to pray in the Spirit. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step in and pray in the Holy Ghost, and you're going to direct the steps of my life. God, I know I don't feel I don't always feel like I'm the great Christian. I don't feel like I have it all together. But I know this, that you have justified me by faith. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. But I know one thing. I've been stamped justified. I might be a sinner. I might have issues that I'm still working through, but I can trust God with my sanctification because I've been justified by him. I know that I'm walking out this daily walk with God. He is sanctifying me, Hebrews 13. He went outside the camp. He spilled his blood for me. I'm being sanctified by this blood. I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have all the right answers. I just have to walk with him. I just have to enjoy him. He doing the work in my life. That is enjoyment of God. That is understanding the truth of what God says about himself. And when you do this, when you enjoy him, when you understand the truth about him, all of a sudden there's a reflection of this glory in your life. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. How is fruitfulness produced in your life? It's not by your effort or works. If you, you know, some of us, if, we, if our fruitfulness was based on the amount of works that we do for God, we'd have a lot of fruit. If you start thinking about it, we'd, we ought to be very fruitful. But oftentimes, it's, we, we need to step back and just say, I'm not responsible for the results here. I'm not responsible for making fruit happen. Fruit is the natural result of abiding. Jesus said, abide, abide, abide. Enjoy God. Delight yourself in God. And the result of that is fruitfulness. The result of abiding, the result of enjoying God is fruitfulness in your life. Amen. Fruitfulness is produced by the enjoyment of God. So Jesus said, these things I've spoken, what? That my joy might be in you and your joy may be full. So all Jesus, if you can sum everything up in John 15, what is Jesus' instruction? Fully delight yourself in God. Delight yourself to the fullest extent possible. Because when you do, when you delight yourself in Him, when you find your enjoyment in God... When you find your enjoyment in the presence of God, fruitfulness happens and my Father is glorified. And you are one happy person. (laughs) If Christianity for you is no longer happy, you've missed the enjoyment of God. If Christianity and your relationship with God is, is dull, is boring... You don't know my Jesus. You haven't maintained your joy. You've stepped out like David into sin. You've stepped out into areas where where you ought not go. But if you'll come back in and come into alignment like David, Lord, I repent. Here I am. I've lost my joy. I've lost the joy of my salvation. I've lost the joy of delighting in you. Help me. Realign me. Get me back in to these rivers of water that I can draw with joy from them. Hallelujah. The greatest of all things for believers in regards to missions. What is the best thing that you can do with regards to reaching the lost? What is the best thing you can do for for reaching lost people? Enjoy God. Enjoy Him to the fullest extent possible and it will overflow. Right now there's Mardi Gras going on, and you know we're all, we're from New Orleans, and so there's every year at Mardi Gras we do big outreaches, a lot of outreach to have you know to people Christians flood the city to do outreach during Mardi Gras time, and so we we have teams come in for for Mardi Gras. And you know what our preparation was to prepare the teams to go out and do street evangelism in the mid, in the midst of the drunken mess and the revelry in the middle of Mardi Gras. You know, we want to know what our preparation was? Worship. We'd bring them in to the church, and we'd just turn up, crank up the worship, and get fully intoxicated on enjoyment of God. Get absolutely fully inundated. I, I, can, I can give you the three steps, the Romans road, the this, the that, and the other thing. Give you all the tools and all the resources. But if I can just get you absolutely annihilated in the presence of God and take you outside and turn you loose on the streets, you'll look just like probably some of the rest of them. But there'll be something radiating out of your life that they don't have, and you'll find yourself just walking down the street, and all of a sudden people just coming up to you. What's different about you? That's 
What's, what's, something's on you. What's, you say, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. I've seen it time and time again. You just send the team out. You just get them in the presence of the Lord. Just let them just go walk the street. Just go walk. And people just come. There's something something about you. There's something about you. What's going on? Are you out here partying? What you been drinking? I want some of what you have. Oh, I've been drinking. I've been drinking of the new wine. Let me tell you all about it. (laughs) Let me tell you all about it. I'll I'll wrap up with this story. I might... might, my watch isn't working, so we'll just blame it on that. Um, if, you, if you want more notes, they're on the Bible app. You can have them. I'm going to close with this story. Heather, one time for her birthday, talking about the enjoyment of God, for her birthday, she wanted to go out on the streets in, the, in Jackson Square, love on the homeless. That was So we were going to go. There was a restaurant right there, and then we were going to go out to Jackson Square, which is also known as Devil's Den. The reason for that is because there's fortune tellers and, you know, every sort of sorcerer's witchcraft, everything you want, you know, it's right there. <laughs> you can just knock yourself out and spend your whole night there. So it's called Devil's Den. Homeless, they're all there. So we go eat. We're having a good time. Now this has been, this is probably a month after I had my encounter with the Lord and he began to change things drastically for me. And so you have to remember, for two months, I, was in, I, I lived intoxicated. So, uh, and when I say intoxicated, I mean affected to the point by the Spirit of God that you begin to bear signs of intoxication. <laughs> I mean, it's, very, it's pretty simple. That's what, that's what Paul said. Paul said, let us not get drunk on wine, with, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He was making a comparison between drinking natural and drinking spiritual. And, and that's what was happening in my life. And so... We go out into the Jackson Square, and we, we get probably 50 feet in this, into Jackson Square. And I, all of a sudden, I'm overcome with supernatural joy. I cannot stop laughing. I, I am over, when I say overcome, I mean I am overcome. I, there is no, I have no ounce of control or mental faculty to control myself. I am overcome with joy and laughter in the middle of all of Devil's Den. <laughs> Even to the point I could not stand up. I found myself on the ground or on a park bench or something. I, don't, I really don't remember. Uh, out in the middle of all the mess. And I'm laughing. I'm praying in tongues. I'm enjoying God to the fullest extent. I'm enjoying God. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on around me. I'm enjoying God. I am lost. I can't help myself. And then all of a sudden... What happens? Now, I don't, I don't know any of this. This is, I found story out after the fact. But people start gathering around. What's going on? Is he, is he drunk? Let's take pictures of this drunk man out in the middle of Jackson Square. What's going on? Let's take, this is funny. Let's get up. And so a crowd starts forming around the drunk guy who's laughing and carrying on in some unknown language. Let's see, what it, is, where's he from? You know, what country is he from? Let's check this out. So, there, you know, crowd forms. And they're all taking pictures. I'm probably on somebody's Facebook page or something. I don't know. And they, and so Heather and the team begin to minister to the crowd that formed around us. They just start loving on them, start ministering to them, start explaining, this is the presence of God on this person's life. This is God touching him. God wants to touch your life. He wants to change. And so it began a conversation, a dialogue with these people. I, I, don't, I can't tell you the rest of the story. They, I know Heather ended up driving me home. I was incapacitated, is all I know. I was carried out of the quarter. 
<laughs> I was carried out of the quarter, put in the back seat of the car, and driven home is all I know. But, but God, you know, you say, well, that's foolish. Well, that's foolish. You ought to control yourself. You, ought to, you need to be a Christian and not act like that. And yet you believe in a virgin birth... Jesus is coming back on clouds of glory with the trumpet sound of God. The dead are going to get up out of the grave. <laughs> you believe that Jesus still heals, and you're okay with people crying at the altar as long as they cry, but, but people getting touched by God visibly so that lost people are born again. Well, we don't want to go there. That's just that's uncontrollable. You see, friend, it's not just a show. Heather said this earlier, and I, I want, when she said it, I thought, you know, I want to pick up on that. This isn't a show. When God touches people, it's the real deal. Yeah. It's the real deal, and it changes them. Yeah. It leaves a mark, a permanent mark on their life. They may not yield immediately, but I promise you there's a permanent mark. They'll, they'll not forget, I encountered something at that church. There was, there was something at that church. I can't tell you how many people have driven by and come into our services. I can't tell you how many times we've gotten to the office and people have been waiting at the door for us. I can't tell you how many stories from Night of Hope that we've heard. I can't begin to tell you all of the stories about the glory of God touching people. Enjoy Him. Enjoy Him to the fullest extent. And leave the results to Him. Just enjoy Him. And the overflow of that enjoyment of God will be compassion for the lost Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your joy, for the, the fullness of joy. With joy, I will draw from the waters of salvation. With joy, Lord, with joy, I, I have tasted of the waters of salvation. I have tasted of the wells of the waters of salvation. I've tasted, I've drunk from these waters. And Lord, it is my delight, it is my delight to share these waters with others. It's my delight to begin to pour out waters on the dry and thirsty ground. It's my delight to begin to share the waters of life with the hurting and the broken. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to have a deep compassion that's produced by our enjoyment of you. Lord, help us to have a deep, deep compassion for the loss that's produced by enjoying you to the fullest extent. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.